Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. So we're starting the series. This is part one. We're calling it Reach. So today we want to talk about pulling back the curtain. Pulling back the curtain. In the children's classic, The Wizard of Oz, you will recall that we find the wonderful wizard is actually just a very crafty man taking advantage of the people's naivety and presenting himself with supernatural abilities and powers. And it's funny, really, how analogous this image really is from both sides, both points of view when it comes to the spiritual warfare that we know exists. The unbelievers tell us that God is just a mere manipulation of our tendency toward a tribal need for something greater than ourselves. But then the church sees the devil and his servants are the ones behind the curtain. I happen to believe the latter scenario, the second scenario, because it fits into what the Bible tells us is actually happening. Let's read some scripture this morning. In Luke chapter 21, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I want to insert here really. You know, most scholars believed that this referred to just the destruction of Jerusalem after the time of Christ there in 70 AD. The problem is there are many different things about this verse that have now been completely changed now that Jerusalem has been reestablished and, is now, and Israel is now there. A lot of this makes a lot more sense when you think of last days and the context where the city is being destroyed in the context of all the rest. Let me keep reading. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity 
at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will, will faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, place stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, and when they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live in the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. A very, very powerful section of Scripture. Definitely pulling together so many different strains of the time, the, the verses from Daniel. Jesus puts it all together for us. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Second Peter 3, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. <clears throat> and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word... The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Jeremiah 23. Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath. Even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out all the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. Jeremiah speaks of the things that I just read prior to that. And Jesus came, and as often he did, is he made clear 
what they knew and had been reading as a tradition for many generations. They all knew that an end would come. An apocalyptic ending of the earth was always a tradition, beginning all the way back with the initial prophets. They all knew that the time would come when this earth would be wrapped up and not just a civilization be destroyed and disappear, which we've seen many, many times. But no, the whole earth finally come to its fiery end. God promised that he would never destroy the earth with a flood, with water again. He said, but with fire, it will come. So where are we in the prophetic clock? I know you're sitting wondering, and maybe Pastor David's going to tell us. No, I can't answer this. I'm not even going to try. Because no man knows the day nor the hour when Jesus will come. But Jesus did make it clear in verses that I just read that we would understand the season. In other words, we would know it's getting close. And folks, in a lot of what I read there, does not a lot of this resound. <laughs> the brutality that we see, the, the division that we see. You know, and not always, I mean, and of course, we see it more in our culture than we've ever seen it, probably. I guess you'd have to go back to maybe the 60s and early 70s where there, there are times of upheaval, upheaval, maybe back to the time era of the Civil War when we've experienced that as a nation. But that has only been our small world, our culture. But now it's amazing that because of television and because of the Internet and because of some things, we can now think more globally than they would have been able to think then. In their sense, when they, thought, when they talked about the whole earth, well, they said, well, what, where is the whole earth? What, what else is there? All we know is the Roman roads, and all we know is that they speak of something in the east, and, and, and we know the Mediterranean, but what, what about beyond that? Now, we clearly know. You can sit on your phone right now and know what's happening in any nation. I mean, up to the minute. They, they like to boast of up-to-the-minute news. I mean, something can happen anywhere on this planet, and literally within minutes, we can know that it has happened. Folks, we are in the times. There's no question. We're in this season. It's not hard to read and see that the leaves are changing and the fig tree is beginning to come into its season. But my thinking has always been not to live <clears throat> necessarily with that anticipation but, or, or to, to just say, well, you know, maybe we're still at 1158 on the, pro, the prophetic. I got time. And if you're that kind of a person who likes to live that way, well, God bless you. Lord, help you. But it's probably best that you live like this, that today could be your last. Because the truth is, this may not be the earth's last day, but it could be yours. Because it could all wrap up in a moment, a last breath a car accident, a health issue, just your time, our time. So why is it important to be alert? Because we've, we saw that. Jesus was saying, be alert, <clears throat> be watchful, understand the times. Well, if you're a born-again Christian, it's a matter of alertness. But Jesus said that we would sense those signs of the times. And Jeremiah said it would be laid bare. The truth is, Christians will know in their knower, and there is no, there, you know, that, that is pretty clear. Again, moral chaos has been released in a way that we have never known, apart from other civilizations that we presumably understand were destroyed because of that evil. Alertness, to be alert, but not out of fear, 
We get that sense that, that all of this apocalyptic language, it does stir us, it gets us anxious, it gets us thinking that way. But Jesus says, don't worry. When they come and they begin to persecute you as Christians, and it's interesting that even in our nation now, really, Christianity is, is, is now being mocked more than ever. And for those, many Christians are afraid to be able to speak and to identify with Christianity because they might be targeted. They might, be, they might not get that job. They might be, you know, somebody pepper spraying them or throwing bricks at them, things that we, we really didn't have to ever fear. Hmm, but now we do. But Jesus is saying, don't fear all that because we're supposed to stay focused for a reason not just out of self-preservation, because he says, look, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you, but I want you to be alert, and I want you to be focused for another reason. And we'll come back to that. So what is at at stake here, folks? What really is at stake? And I write here in the notes, it's about souls. It's about human beings. It's not about building. They'll all be destroyed. It's not about the earth and the environment. It's going to be destroyed. People say, we're going to destroy our environment. No, God is going to destroy your environment. I mean, I'm sorry, but that, that's exactly true. We're going to save the whales, save the trees, save everything, but God says, I'm going to destroy it all. Boom. In a moment. And here we are spending Billions, if not trillions of dollars, which I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be environmentally conscious and, and all of that. But if that is your gospel, if that is your focus, then, then you don't understand what Jesus was doing at all or what he was trying to communicate. And what he's trying to tell us now is that, folks, it's all about the human beings. Why do we care that, that abortion exists? Why do we want to save one little soul? Because we know they're eternal souls. This earth will pass away. This earth will burn. There is nothing on this planet that will exist beyond that day. But human beings will. Yes, they will. Forever they will exist in one place or another. Daily human beings suffer at the hands of pure evil. Modern slavery. We rage against the past of slavery, but did you know that slavery exists now and there are more people enslaved now than there ever has been in the past? Are we concerned about them? Are we raging against them? Are we raging against those who steal our daughters and put them into sex slavery and trade and they go from hotel right under our very noses? Are we concerned about that at all? Are we concerned about the 50 million little babies who were sacrificed on the altar of convenience? Murder that's looked at, you know, more, it, it is confounding to me that we're supposed to be such an advanced society, but do you not feel the brutishness right now? Do you feel that almost people, when people say, look, someone just needs to die, somebody just needs to kill them. 
And yet we don't even think twice about the thought of murder, and yet we're supposed to be such an advanced society. We think of ourselves as being so, oh, morally advanced. We have really come into a new, uh, of unity and, and, and have really evolved into human beings that are lovable, likable. But that's not what I see on the internet, my friends. That's not what I see in the blogs. That's not what I read. Ream after ream of responses to articles will just kill them, destroy them, take them out as a people group. Where are we? And how did we get here? Theft. People stealing uh, identities, stealing people's things. Just because somebody doesn't walk into your house and steal something doesn't mean that theft and dishonesty is not taking place more than any other time than now. People are stealing through the internet. And just because nobody can see us doesn't mean that it's not morally repugnant. Because when we take something from someone, something, someone feels uncovered, someone feels, uh, you know, taken advantage of. Persecution. Persecution and deceit. Deceit is looked upon as being an ends to just a, a, a means to justify an end now. Now it's about, well, a little bit of deception, as long as what we're doing is getting to the end to help people be better in the end, is now being embraced more than ever. Our young people are being taught that 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 in their 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 morality, their their ethical understanding of how you treat human beings is 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 it's it's terrible what they're taught. And they see this from their very professors who, who will communicate of the, that the value of human life is not comparable to this planet. That's not, that I, they would rather kill millions of people to save a group of trees. What is wrong with us? And where did this come from? It came from Satan himself, who is the hater of the greatest creation of God, the human being, the soul. 151, uh, 151,600 people die each day across the planet. That's 55.3 million people dying each year, most from disease and old age. The average lifespan worldwide is 67 years old, but varies drastically from a third world country to the modernized countries. 105,000 Christians die for their faith each year and growing right now, right now. Just because you don't see Christians die in your backyard doesn't mean that they are dying throughout the earth, and they are. Christian organizations and mission agencies have been sounding the alarm for the last several years, and yet they're ignored. Ignored. Why we would let this happen except that there is the antichrist spirit that has been loose. That is, does exist. It is alive and it's well. It doesn't necessarily exist in the form of a person right now, but its spirit is alive and well. The United States has been divided almost straight down the middle for several decades now. And most of that division is ideological. Most of that division comes right down to those who believe in eternal life and those who don't. That's amazing. Ah, it shifts a little bit. 
it would be the advantage of our enemy to continue to exploit this. The house divided itself against itself cannot stand. The rhetoric, the hate, the violence, the vitriol have grown tremendously. If you're a part of this, if you're a part of this, and you call yourself a Christian, please do one of two things for me. Number one, stop it. <laughs> it's, it's evil and it's wrong. Number two, stop calling yourself a Christian. Because that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what he lived. That's not what he believed. When they brought him before his enemies, they slapped him and he did not slap back. They tore out hair in his beard and he did not yell out obscenities. He did not throw rocks or march around anybody's house. He didn't do any of that. He suffered silently because he knew that he was just. See, if you're an unrighteous person, then you'll respond in an unrighteous fashion. But if you are being, if you're suffering for a righteous cause, then the best thing for you to do is to suffer silently and call upon the one whose vengeance will be true and real and right and effective. It may not happen in the time that you want it. Folks, the revolution has begun, has it not? Which side will you find yourself on? Will you justify killing, burning, looting, defacing, lying, and encouraging others for the sake of an ideology? Or will you live and speak the words of Jesus? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death. Christians. So don't be surprised, people, if they see you coming and the first, and when you, the word Jesus comes out of your mouth and they get this look of like somebody just passed gas or something. Because that is how they will view you, my friends, as a stench. It's very true, isn't it? We're a stench to them because we represent that the party is not going to go all night. We represent that you can do anything you want at this party and never be held accountable for it, that you represent something far different from all of that, that you represent that the day is coming when every single man, woman, and child will have to stand and give account of what they did with the gospel message, what they did with the greatest loving gift that was given to man. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? And I love the question and how Paul frames it this way. Because it is a question. Who of us are adequate for such a task? Are we up for the task? The question is, can only be answered by you. And by me, what do we smell like? What is our fragrance? When we go into a room, do we stir up trouble and hate? When we get on the internet, what comes through the screen? What do we represent? What is our fragrance? We'll be a part of the solution or we'll be a part of the problem. 
it's best that we clarify that right now. For those of us who are breathing, for those of us who are still alive in this world, who've been kept to this time. God said for the sake of the elect that the last days would be shortened so that it wouldn't be overwhelming, not for them, but for us, that we would have to endure such times. So what happens to human beings when they die? What does the Bible tell us? Well, we'll get into this a little bit later in the, in the month, but just a cursory overlook here. This, the Bible tells us that our spirit and our soul move on to an eternal dimension that is waiting for all human beings that have been given life on this earth. When we're, when we're, when we're created, when we're born, we are more than just a body that's sewn together. We, there is an illumin, there's a creation of life, an eternal person. All we see is the physical body, but there is a soul that is eternal. It's a spirit. That's how special we are to God. That's how that's how unique we are, is that we're eternal beings. God saw that since the fall, that we were, that death came upon us, and that our bodies would not only die, and that's our short-sightedness. We think that only our bodies die, but no, 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 no. Our spirit is also dying. Our soul will not sustain it, it it is no it is not only was were we kicked out of the garden but we were kicked out of heaven to be able to live and exist in that eternal dimension with him forever every single human being made for eternity but will not necessarily live with god so jesus made it clear that we will face a judgment after we die that will be affected by what we have done with his, his life, his death, his resurrection. In other words, our belief in him as our Savior and Lord is critical to, the, to that outcome. If you look in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, you'll see that. That was Jesus' message. It wasn't just love. It wasn't just healing. It wasn't just, hey, you've got a, your best life yet to come. The true gospel is this. Hey, this life it's going to be what it's going to be. And you know what? If it turns out good, good for you. But the truth and the reality is that this life is but a breath. It's a blinking of the light. Because eternity, Jesus made it very clear that eternity was what it was all about. He said, look, they can destroy your body. He said, don't fear the one. Don't fear the Roman soldiers when they come in the sword and they're going to chop you down. Don't, don't worry of, of the rioters and the haters of Christ who can take this body, this, this, this tent. He said, fear the one who can throw the spirit and the soul into the pit forever. He said, that's the one you should be fearing. Jesus said this. All men, women, and children will be held accountable will be expected to pay for their sins they have committed. Someone's got to pay. If we've lived a life of carousing, if we've lived a life of sin, if we've ignored and stomped on the name of Jesus, I mean, sometimes I just shudder when I think and I read articles and I, and I see people who are, you know, uh, revered for their teaching, their, their speaking, and, and, and they blaspheme God. I mean, a shudder goes down my spine because I realize, I see it in my head, in my heart, that they'll, they'll be standing before the create, their creator 
And in an instant, they'll know. And there'll be no defense. Just the question. What did you do with the free gift that you saw? That you read about? That you just happened to rail against and hate and despise? What did you do with that? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't. What did you do? I didn't believe. Then you'll have to pay for your own sins. For those who put their faith in Christ, however, Christ as their Savior, that Christ is their Savior and Lord here on this earth, this time, this is the acceptable day of the Lord. This is the time we're expected to make the choice. For those who do, they will be saved. We're promised this in Scripture, not only from the words of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creatures in Christ, Romans chapter 10, that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord, I will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 says that it's not by works, but it's by faith and the, the powerful grace of God and those who put their faith in that. Saved from what? Now, that's, that's a good one, isn't it? Saved. Saved from death? No, we know we're all going to die. That's an interesting word. Saved. Jesus said, an eternal damnation or separation from God and a separation from his people. I love sitting down with my children. And I don't, you know, we do talk about how their life is going to be. You know, we talk about it, and we do like any other parent. But I tell you what, we have not really focused a lot. Am I telling the truth, Andrew? We haven't talked. I mean, even with Andrew, because he got baptized a couple of weeks ago, and I told him, I said, Andrew, you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? And he goes, yes, sir. I said, I'm so proud of you that you let the world know that you're going to be a follower of Christ. He said, yeah. I said, but you know what the greatest news is? He looked at me, and I said, you and I get to hang out in heaven forever. Everything we enjoy doing here, the new heaven and the new earth. I, 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 I'm, in, I'm letting, instilling in his mind that his value should not be this life, that his value should be in the one to come, that he should not, the one who tries to save his soul here on this planet, the one who tries to save his life and, ste- and steep in the pleasures of this world will, can and possibly lose it, is what Jesus said. And Toby Mack sings that song, right? But I, try, I looked at Andrew and I said, we get to spend eternity together. And his eyes got big. And I said, man, daddy will be able to wrestle with you a whole lot better then. So I'm going to have a whole new body. I love that idea. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear the one, after you have been killed, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus brought up the concept of hell, which we know that Sheol, the grave, the idea of the afterlife was not fully developed during the times of the patriarchs. They knew that that death was what they feared, but it was almost out of mercy that God the Father didn't tell them about that. But when Jesus came, 
Jesus was the full revelation. He was the open book. He just said, look, I am here. I have come. I got three years to tell you exactly how it is and exactly how it's going to be. And he said, when you die, what you have done with me will absolutely affect your destiny, your future, your eternity. And he talked about hell. And he said, that is where those will go who do not accept this free gift. He made it very plain. But the scripture tells us in Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is a strong word. Condemned, you have that idea of coming before a judge and not just being told you're guilty, but you're condemned. You're given, you're given what you have done wrong, but you've been given the sentence as well, all in one full swoop in a condemnation. You come, you're guilty. No, now we'll go talk about what we're going to do, and we're going to make it as easy as possible. Uh-uh. When we come before the God of, of the creation, our, our, you know, when we come before it, it's going to be judge and jury and sentence all in one side, one, just boom. You did not accept him. You're guilty of all of your own sin. And every man will fall short of the glory of God without the sacrifice of Christ. You are condemned. You are cut off. You will be thrown in to a place where Jesus described in one of his parables. It's frightful. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sadness forever. Gnashing of teeth. What is that about? Anger. Anger at ourselves. Anger at others. Anger of those who did not. They will think and will forever see in their mind the person who failed to share. That person was a Christian. They should have pressed through. They should have told me. That person was my brother. That person was my sister. That was my dad. That was my next. I used to work with that guy. Why didn't he tell me about Jesus? Why didn't he tell me about this place? Grinding their teeth. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God has not appointed us to suffer wrath, brother but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What he means is whether we're in this body or where we go to sleep and we move on to transition to who we're going to be and in eternity, he said we will be with him. That is the great news. And you know what is so amazing to me is how simple it really is. And it's amazing that how sometimes it's the simple things that we often forfeit. Somebody sends you a check in the mail. It's a big rebate. It's a, and I, I discovered this because I got called into an office and they said, look, we got a rebate for you. We don't send them in the mail anymore. And I said, why don't you send them in the mail? I mean, that, why do I have to come down here? They said, well, because people tear them up. You know why? They think it's a bill. Nobody wants to open a bill. Well, I mean, we should. <laughs> We should open our bills, and we should pay our bills. The problem is that's why so much of the money gets, gets lost is because here we got a gift that has come to us, but shink, 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 we just assume it's not. Simplicity. Get your money back. God is saying it's simple. The message of Jesus Christ. 
the message of what Jesus did for us, the reality of how salvation comes. He's not asking you to do anything. He's not asking me to do anything. He just says, look, just love me. Just enjoy what I've given to you. But I tell you what, until the day that you go, I'm leaving you here on this planet. And this is such a confusion among Christians. If it were all about heaven, yes, he would take us immediately. But he's left us here for a reason. Why? Why are we still here? Just so that we could just enjoy all of this? But, but, but that doesn't make sense when we see that the grand scheme of what Jesus talked about, how he kept on talking about the new heaven and the new earth, and he kept on talking about how heaven was the, was the real reality. So what's the point? We're here so that we can keep telling others about it, that we can empty hell and fill up heaven, that we can, when everybody that we rub shoulders with, that we, don't, that we don't become a one that they would gnash their teeth over, but that we will say, look, I love you. You're my friend. I've been working next to you for the last three or four years. And look, I know you're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you, look, Jesus Christ is alive and real. Salvation is this. And you share just a simple gospel message with them. Or at least take one of these invitations and, 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 and encourage them to come to a place where they're here, the gospel. We can be a part of that. We should make that our life goal, folks. We should, it should be a part of our destiny. If you're still wandering around trying to say, why am I, why am I here? What, what does God have for me? What am I called to do? Folks, it's pretty simple. Love people. Tell them about Jesus. Live Jesus. Do not get caught up in this darkness that's going on around us. That's all going to hell in a handbasket. Going to be hand-delivered. You don't want anything to do with that. And if you get caught up with all that mess, when you're doing one thing, it means you're not doing another. If you're raging against man and his hatred, look, just let God take care of that. You get over on this side and love people and share the gospel with them. If you've got to be on social media, then be a light. If you've, if you've got to be on a football team or you've got to be a part of a traveling thing or if you've got to do all these different things in life, be salt and light. Take every moment. Pray on your way there. to say, Lord, let us be salt and light today. Give us a divine appointment. May there be an opportunity for us to share the gospel with someone at some, in, in some place. The great news, and it's for us. It's our great news. But what about those around us? This is what this is, the rest of this series is going to be about learning to grow in our passion for the souls around us. We need to stop seeing people as enemies, as dopes, dupes, and dummies, or just in our way, the landscape. But God's children that he's asked us to help get back into the family. And the good news is this. The better news is, well, and apart from the fact that if you've given your life to Christ, that you don't have to suffer any wrath, Amen. Aren't you happy about that? We may see the fire. We may see, we're going to stand by and we're going to have a bag of popcorn and say, wow, look at it burn. And we'll feel bad about it. I know I'm being facetious. But I'm, I guess I'm celebrating the fact that we, that's, not our, that's not our destiny. Our destiny is when we hear that trumpet, 
when we know that Jesus comes in the clouds and we see the heavens begin to burn, whether it's because of, you know, uh, a, a nuclear war that, that breaks upon the planet. We don't know how it's going to happen, but what, if, if it does, we look up because our salvation draws near. But what about those around us? We're going to ask God to help us because we can take our joy and release our joy. God wants to say, look, if you're serious about being a part of my kingdom, if you're serious about becoming what I've called you to be, then I will be with you. I will give you the words to speak. I will set up the divine opportunities. I will put you in a place. I will set you up. That's what God promises to do. But that's another sermon. Let's stand up this morning. Sometimes you can't really enjoy what you have until you understand what it's like to not have it. That was Jesus' point. I love the fact that Jesus was, was careful to lay it out. He said, look, I can't, I'm not going to spare you this. It's coming. The gig is up. There's no more in the shadow. When you die, this is what's going to happen. You'll either be a part of it or you won't. Let's bow our heads this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, not to walk in any fear today. Because these things, God, they, they tend to make us look and evaluate our lives. And we go right back to that base need. And that is to be absolved, to be forgiven, to wonder, are we forgivable? Is what I'm doing in my life or what I've done in my past too much? Am I cut off from God? Do I wait in a fearful expectation of that end? No. Lord, we've been given a wonderful gift. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we're grateful that Paul opened his heart a little bit there at the end of chapter 7 in Romans, talking about his own conflict, struggling with sin. He says some things that, Lord, are hard for us to comprehend about, Lord, how do we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God? Lord, the truth is, we do wrestle with sin. We still wrestle with the darkness of our soul, the brokenness of who we are as human beings. But Lord, you're here to teach us. Titus chapter 2 reminds us, Lord, that it's by your grace that you teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. You're the one who's going to do it. So Lord, first of all, I want to pray that God, if there's anyone in this room today, God, that's wrestling, wrestling with that sense of condemnation or struggle, Lord Jesus, you made it clear that all we have to do is confess our sin, and you're faithful and just to forgive our sins and to wash us, as Hebrews says, our conscience from acts which lead to death, death of the heart, death of the soul, and even death of the body. Forgiven, washed clean through confession and faith. 
Lord, for those of us, God, who've allowed ourselves to get possibly drawn into this, this darkness, Lord, forgive us. Help us to drop, Lord, the sword. Just drop it. Turn around and follow Jesus. Lord, because the reality of what is happening, there is no, there is, there's, there's no other event. There's, you, you have told us what's going to happen. It's laid clear. Jeremiah told us we would all understand it. It would all be, be, be plain, and it is. It's all there. So, Lord, there's no point in us raging against this storm. It's a hurricane, and we got to let you, it's going to come. We only have to take cover in Christ we will be safe. We will be well. But Lord, in the meantime, God, would you stir up in each one of us what a fresh passion to begin to open our hearts. God, to let that can opener, Lord, where we've hidden the passion away. Lord, because the love, it says in these days that the love of God will grow cold in us. The love for man. Lord, that many of us, Lord, we're just so unloving right now. We don't care. We want the world to stew in its own poison. But right now, we ask you, God, to help us. Open our hearts once again. Lord, to not rage against races, not rage against ideologies, not rage against those, Lord, that we perceive as being evil and manipulative. Lord, we will leave the heart of man to you. But what you've called us to do is not rage against that, but to speak the words of life, to share the good news of Christ, that there would not be on our watch not a single soul who would not know, see, and have heard from our lips the message of Jesus. And may that be so. Lord, bless us. Before we go, if you're here today and you're not for certain that if you died tonight, you're not for certain. If you've never given your life to Christ, look, you can do that right now. This is your chance, and maybe even your last chance. If that's you, would you raise your hand up? Want me to pray so that you might give your life to Christ today? Anyone at all? Amen. As we finish, if our prayer teams could come, if you would like prayer for healing, prayer over this message or anything, any other need in your life or even just to stand on behalf of someone else, our prayer teams are here for you. The rest of us, Lord, bless us, keep us, hold us fast, open our eyes to see the things that it really are and to see the lost as you see them, redeemable, lovable, savable. In Jesus' name, amen.